You're listening to The Ridge Weekly Podcast. To learn more about Chestnut Ridge Church, visit us online at theridge.church. In a world where the very concept of truth is under attack, we are called upon to know the truth and to be able to defend it. The truth can impact our relationship with God, and it can lead to true freedom. Unfortunately, many in our society no longer value the truth, and they don't know where to turn in order to find it. Listen to this talk from the series, Truth Is, as we seek to know how we can graciously stand firm in the truth as we face those in our society who look to undermine it. Well, good morning. It is great to be together. Growing up, my brothers and I had paper routes. If you're a little bit younger than me, you might not know what that is. But we were paid to carry newspapers throughout our neighborhood and nearby neighborhoods. We actually had three paper outs total for a, probably about 120 papers. It was seven days a week. Rain, the snow we had last week, we went out delivering those papers all throughout the year. And over time, we developed just some really great relationships with our newspaper customers, especially the older ones who needed help. So they began to hire us as young as eight, nine, ten years old, to rake their leaves in the fall, to shovel their snow in the winter, and then cut grass in the summer. And when I was, I think, 15, we had been out cutting grass for hours, probably 9 a.m. to 3 or 4 p.m. And I remember all throughout the day, my stomach was killing me, and it felt like it was getting worse. So got home, and maybe it was before dinner, my mom asked me how I was doing. I think she noticed I was grimacing a little bit. I said, Mom, my stomach is just killing me. This doesn't feel normal. And like any good mother of a teenage boy, she said, well, what did you eat today? What did you drink today? Because I think she probably knew it wasn't good. I said, well, I think I started with a donut and then probably had some Doritos, maybe a hot dog or two. And oh, by the way, I chugged an entire two liter of Mountain Dew. To which she replies, are you, is it any wonder why your stomach hurts? So we get through the evening and, and I, and I it really did hurt. And I tried to get some sleep and I was started in my bed and I tossed and turned and finally went to the couch, maybe think that would help. And I remember kind of holding myself in a particular, almost fetal position to find relief. And that was the only thing that seemed to be working, but didn't get much sleep that night. Mom comes to me the next morning and I am writhing in pain. And I remember even tears were kind of coming down my cheeks and she knew something's wrong. So her and dad got me ready, hopped in the car, drove just down the road to our local hospital, Weirton Medical Center. They ran some tests on me and quickly determined that it was my appendix. And they said, we're probably within maybe minutes of your appendix rupturing. We need to get you into surgery. So I remember being in that awkward pre-op gown on the table, and they gave me just a few moments with my parents before they took me back. And I remember my mom grabbing one hand and my dad grabbing the other. And there's a few things that are they're very vivid in my mind all these years. The first is I remember looking up at my mom and saying, I told you it wasn't the Mountain Dew. She still feels bad that she thought it was the Dew. Um, but then I remember just the pain and the sickness and just how worried I was. 
But then I also felt the love and support and just that unconditional love from your parents. In that moment, both of those things were true of me. You see, on one hand, I was sick, terribly sick, the, the worst sickness I had ever experienced. And I was in pain, and the, the evaluation was that I needed surgery. And I could have denied that. I could have said, you're crazy. It's going to go away. But it was undeniable. I was in trouble. I couldn't deny it. But then on the other hand, in that same moment, I felt the love and the unconditional support of my parents. There was no questioning that. But I think when it comes to our spiritual lives, and as we think about God, as we think about ourselves, it just seems like we struggle to believe some things that are true, that are true about each and every one of us. For instance, God's Word makes it clear that all of us are sinful, myself included. We all fall short. But I think we struggle to really wrap our minds around what does that mean. I think most of us think we're pretty good people, maybe better than the rest. Interestingly, a study from a few years ago said this, a study of 2,000 U.S. residents, 81% of them believe that humankind is inherently good, and three in four believe they're fundamentally a good person. But when asked how they would compare themselves to others in their life, 46% went a step further admitting to a belief that they're better than everyone they know. Now, what surprises me about this is that only 46% of people admitted to believing what I think most of us believe about ourselves. I think most of us think that we're a pretty good person. That we evaluate others around us and we say, I'm better than them, I'm better than them, I haven't done that, I'm probably better than them. You know, social media doesn't help. I only have Facebook, but I tend to post about my family and the church, that's kind of it. And if you were to evaluate my use of Facebook, you might say he's a, he seems to be a good father, posting pictures with his children, seems to be a good husband, spending time with his wife, seems to really love the church. But what you're not going to find me post is a picture of myself sitting on the couch on my phone, ignoring my kids because I'm annoyed and just need a break. You're not going to find a post of a time where I'm short with my wife and need to go to her and ask for forgiveness, right? We, we have an image that we want to protect. But on the other hand, the other side of the spectrum, even though God's word makes it clear that he loves us, and maybe we've heard that a thousand times, that he loves us, he wants a relationship with us. I think we still can struggle to believe that. Maybe we think to ourselves, well, I, I, can't, I don't think God could love someone like me because of what I've done. I don't know that God could love someone like me because of something that someone has done to me. I, I don't think God could love me because sometimes I doubt him or sometimes I worry. I think it's a struggle for all of us. And here's the truth. The truth is that we're worse than we think we are, but we are more loved than we think we are as well. I am worse than I think I am. I am more broken. I am more sinful than I could ever imagine. But at the same time, I also want to believe, and I think scripture is going to make this clear today, that we are more loved than we could ever imagine. 
you know, this summary, this tension, it's not unique to me. The late pastor Tim Keller put it this way. He said, the gospel is this, that we are more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dared believe. Yet at the very same time, we are more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we ever dared hope. It's this tension, it's this both and that makes up our Christian life. And I acknowledge that it can be a struggle to believe these things. These are hard things for us to accept. And it is for me at times as well. But my prayer for us is that we would just have an open heart and open ears to the truth of God's word because there's so much said about us in our culture. There's so much said about us from the enemy. We have to look to God's word to see what is true about ourselves. So the passage we're going to look at today, it's, it's Psalm 139. One of my favorite psalms, it's from King David under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And this is a really unique psalm in that while it is primarily about God and his attributes, we're also going to see our takeaway in this today. That we're worse than we think we are, but more loved as well. There's six sections of four verses each, and we're going to work through them. And before we jump in, I just want to give you this overview of the passage. You can kind of see how it's going to develop. Verses one to six, we're going to see that God is omniscient. And these are theological words that we use to to try to describe God, that that he is all-knowing. Verses seven to 12, that God is omnipresent. He is present everywhere at all times. He's omnipotent. He is all-powerful. And then after those three sections, in light of that, we're going to see David's response. And it's a response that may actually surprise you if you haven't heard this psalm before. So let's jump in. Psalm 139, 1-6 begins this way. Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I stand up. You understand my thoughts from afar. You observe my travels and my rest. You are aware of all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you know all about it, Lord. You have encircled me. You have placed your hand on me. This extraordinary knowledge is beyond me. It is lofty. I am unable to reach it. So this section begins with verse 1, and that's really the theme of this section. You have searched me, and you have known me. And what we believe about God, that he is omniscient, that he knows everything about everyone, past, present, future. And if that's true, then that means he knows each of us intimately, individually, And some of the examples that he gives, he says, you know when I sit down and when I stand up. Sir, right here, would you mind standing up for me real quick? Stand up and then you can sit down. Great job. God knew that I would be here today teaching, that you would be sitting in that seat, that I would ask you to stand and sit. God knows those kinds of details. You understand my thoughts from afar. You observe my travels and rest, aware of my ways. It said, before a word was on my tongue, God knew what that word would be. 
Now, I don't know how you feel about big tech and the idea that they're always listening. Um, but I think the truth of the matter is, is big tech companies have a lot of information on us. It probably doesn't help that we have Alexas and Series and we feed it a lot of information, but regardless of how much information they have on each of us, that is microscopic compared to what God knows. Microscopic to what he knows. He knows everything. And that's why David responded in verse 6 when he considered that you know everything that I am going to do, think, good, bad, somewhere in between. Verse 6, this extraordinary knowledge is beyond me. It is lofty. I'm unable to reach it. He said, I, I can't begin to get my mind around you, God. Now, I think as it relates to us as people, that's probably a really scary thought. That's why we don't really reveal everything about ourselves to everyone because they may not want to be our friend. They may not want to be in relationship with us. Not so with God. I was reading in my, my study Bible this week, and it had this note. I found it to be really encouraging. It says this, Sometimes we don't let people get to know us completely because we are afraid that they'll discover something about us that they won't like. But God already knows everything about us, even the number of hairs on our head which unfortunately for me are becoming less and less all the time, but it's another story. Yet still, he accepts and loves us. His total awareness of us, therefore, should comfort us because he stays with us through every situation, every trial, protecting, loving, and guiding us and knowing and loving us completely. That's how David felt about this. It didn't, it didn't freak him out that God knew everything. He just acknowledged you do. And yet still, you want to have a relationship with me. So the passage continues building on God being omniscient, knowing all, to now God being everywhere, being all present. So he begins this way, verse 7. Where can I go to escape your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence. If I go up to heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you're there. If I live at the eastern horizon or settle at the western limits, even there your hand will lead me. Your right hand will hold on to me. If I say, surely the goodness will hide me. In the light around me will be night. Even the darkness is not dark to you. The night shines like the day. Darkness and light are alike to you. So you get this sense that maybe David was overwhelmed thinking he knows everything about me. Maybe there's somewhere I could go and hide and get a break from God knowing everything or observing everything. So he says, maybe I could go as high to the heavens. Oh, he's there. Maybe I could make my bed in Sheol, the place of the dead, go as far down as I can possibly imagine. Oh, he's there. If I go as far east or as far west, oh, he's, he's there. Even if in the darkness, he said, just picture like a dark cave, no lights. You can't see your hand in front of your face. Even God sees in that kind of darkness. But not only that, not only is he there, he says, your hand will hold me and will 
guide me and hold on to me. I mean, you just see him understanding that, God, there is nowhere I can go that you're not. You are before me, behind me, and with me at all times. We don't have time to look at another passage, but if you would like to, Romans chapter 8, verses 31 to 38, expand that in the New Testament, that there's just nowhere that we can be separated from God. So now the passage develops. We see that God is all-knowing, see that God is all-present, and now we're going to see that God is all-powerful. Verse 13, for it was you who created my inward parts. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I will praise you because I have been remarkably and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful, and I know this very well. My bones were not hidden from you when I was made in secret, when I was formed in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw me when I was formless. All my days were written in your book and planned before a single one of them began. God, how difficult your thoughts are for me to comprehend, how vast their sum is. If I counted them, they would outnumber the grains of the sand. When I wake up, I am still with you. Now it's in this section that I want to bring us back to the second part of our takeaway, that we are more loved than we could ever imagine. And the reason why I know I can confidently say that is because God chose to create you and you and you and you for the purpose of having a relationship with you and enjoy you forever. Now notice God's powerful and personal activity in this passage. Alan Ross, a Bible scholar, says this is God's sovereign superintendence over the natural process of reproduction. It says, you created my inward parts. Literally, that means my kidneys. That was their understanding 3,000 years ago. You created my inward parts, my, my kidneys, my liver, my heart. You knit me together in my mother's womb. Think of tendons and veins and arteries. I praise you because I've been fearfully and wonderfully made. And then, and then it says, my bones were not hidden from you. It says, my eyes saw when I was formless. That speaks to the early stages of pregnancy, the embryo stage. God did all of this for each and every one of us. He created he knit, he formed, he saw, he planned for all of us. And I think sometimes because human life, it happens all the time. Another person's pregnant, another person's having a baby. We can forget how miraculous it really is. But just this past Tuesday, some friends of ours, Anthony and Megan, gave birth to their first son, a beautiful little boy named Rowan. He's awesome. And you look at this child and realize God made Rowan. It was God who oversaw his development. It was God who planned all of the details of his life. And similar to the first section, when David considered all of this, his response again was, God, how difficult your thoughts are for me to comprehend. How vast their sum is. If I counted them, they would outnumber the grains of the sand. When I wake up, I'm still with you. You know, I think about God creating and knitting each and every one of us. I think about a blanket from my wife, Hillary. 
Unbeknownst to me, when we were in high school, she knit this blanket for months. Behind my back, she was working on it. So look how big this thing is, all right? Those of you who crochet, you know how much time this takes. And fun tidbit, when she gave it to me on Valentine's Day in high school, it didn't quite cover me completely. I think I was laying on her parents' couch, and she said, let's just see if it fits. She's like, it could be a little longer. So she took it back and added a whole nother foot to the bottom of the blanket. But the reason why this blanket to me is such a treasured possession is because first, it's one of a kind. I mean, I can literally say this is a one of a kind blanket. There's not another one like it. The size, the texture, the color, it's truly one of a kind. But the second reason why it's such a cherished possession is because she made it for me in love. It was made with love. It was made with purpose. All that was in her heart towards me at that time was poured into this creation. And so it is with each and every one of us that God created us on purpose in love. We always go back to Genesis 1.27 to be reminded God created man in his own image. He created him in the image of God. He created them male and female. This means that every single person from the moment of conception is uniquely and wonderfully made and loved and cherished by God. Maybe you wonder why do Christians tend to hold a pro-life viewpoint, that viewing life as sacred, that's because we believe God is the author of life. And very practically, this is why as a church, we support organizations like Compass Women's Center, who walk alongside particularly young pregnant women who are in difficult situations, and, and they love them, and they care for them, and they value them, and they hear their story and they help them choose life. And then they continue to walk with those young ladies and their children. It's beautiful. This is why as a church, we're so passionate for our Foster West Virginia ministry, for vulnerable children and families, because we believe that every child deserves to be safe and to be cared for and to be kept from harm. This is the heart of God for us. And here's what's amazing to me still is not only is God powerful enough to give us this life, he's also powerful enough to give us eternal life, to create us anew. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says it this way, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things have passed away, and look, new things have come. God is all-powerful, and it's so clear to me from God's word that the reason why he created you and you and you and you and you and all of you online, wherever you are, is out of love, is out of love. Therefore, in light of our great God, we, we see that God is omniscient and he is omnipresent and he is omnipotent. David responds, like I said, in a way that almost feels jarring. It almost feels like the passage goes in this new direction. Verse 19, it says, God, if only you 
would kill the wicked. You bloodthirsty men, stay away from me, who invoke you deceitfully. Your enemies swear by you falsely. Lord, don't I hate those who hate you and detest those who rebel against you. I hate them with extreme hatred. I consider them my enemies. Search me, God. And know my heart, test me and know my concerns. See if there is any offensive way in me. Lead me in the everlasting way. Now, there is a, a word that you picked up time and time again, hate and hatred. And that might be hard to hear. And you might be thinking, Josh, aren't we, we're not supposed to hate people. Well, really behind that word here is to reject. It's to oppose and what David was saying is, I reject those who reject you. I reject those who are fundamentally against your ways, Lord. Now, we don't know exactly who his enemies were, but you can think about enemies such as the Philistines and Goliath in particular. This is someone who mocked God, who made fun of God's holy name, and who loved to kill innocent people. So in light of verses 1 to 18, where David is, is beautifully telling us who our amazing God is and reminding us that every single person has been fearfully and wonderfully made. Is it any wonder why he's fired up? Because his enemies were mocking the true God, were killing people made in his image. And it burned as a righteous indignation in his spirit. But then in 23, it all gets flipped upside down. As he's evaluating these enemies, as he's evaluating people who hate God and who kill innocent people, he looks inward because he understood that he also was a sinner. It says, search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my concerns. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. I mean, David understood that he was also a sinner. And he, he acknowledged, I, I may not sin like them. I may not be mocking the true God. I may not be taking innocent lives. But he acknowledged, I also sin. I am worse than I think I am. And he begged God, search me, test me, reveal any wickedness within me so that I can live a righteous life. And coming back to God again and again, who loves us with a heart of repentance and humility, that's what leads to righteousness. That's what leads to good relationship with God and others. So in light of this incredible passage, what are some ways that we can apply this today? Well, first, as we almost do every week, if you haven't yet placed your faith in Christ, I encourage you to do so. And maybe at the beginning of the message, you were connecting with what I was sharing in terms of maybe it's just hard for you to, to see a need for God. Maybe you feel like you are a really good person and, and don't need to be saved. I would just remind you of Romans 3.23, for all have fallen short. Of God's, all have sinned and fall short of God's glorious standard. That's me, that's you, that's all of us. If we've told one lie, if we've stolen one thing, if we've had one lustful thought, that makes us a sinner in need of a Savior. Or perhaps you're on the other side of the spectrum and you feel like God can't love you 
or doesn't love you or can't forgive the sins you've committed, that couldn't be further than the truth. Romans 5, 8, God proves his own love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So I just make that appeal to you today to place your faith in Christ. Call out to him and be saved. Now, second, for those of you who are Christians, I want to encourage you to respond to God like David did with a heart of repentance and a heart of praise. Now, even though you may not find yourself mocking God, taking lives, even though you may not sin in the worst ways, all of us need his mercy in his grace every day. And I admit it's a hard prayer to pray. God, search me. God, know me. God, reveal in me. But I believe if we're willing to pray that prayer, that God will reveal to us what needs to go. And then we can have confidence that he will forgive us again and again. And then when you think about how dearly loved you are by God, praise him. Praise him that you are made in his image. Praise him that he is always with you. Praise him that he sent his son Jesus to die in your place. Praise him that he's given you his Holy Spirit to walk with you, to comfort you, to guide you, to be with you always. You know, the truth is we are surrounded every day with lies on all sides. From the world, from the enemy, maybe even from ourself. But the truth is, is that we need Jesus each and every day. And we need to keep looking to his word to know the truth. Let's pray. Well, God, we do come to you just with a heart of, of repentance. We acknowledge that we are sinners in need of your grace and mercy each and every day. And God, we're thankful that when we come to you with that heart, that you forgive again and again, and you lead us to the righteous life. God, we also praise you that you've made each and every one of us in your image uniquely and wonderfully. God, thank you that you're actively at work in our lives in ways that we cannot see or ways that we will never understand. Help us believe what you say is true about us. Protect us from the lies that could hurt us. God, thank you for your love. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for his Holy Spirit who is with us and empowers us each and every day. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Ridge Weekly Podcast. If you'd like to hear more messages now, you can check out our past series at theridge.church slash messages or download the free Ridge app. Thanks again for listening, and we will see you next time.